Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Have you ever been on the giving or receiving end of intimidation? Perhaps you were bullied by someone trying to control you. Or maybe you were in a situation where to speak the truth would cause others to dislike you. One you had no control over because somebody mistreated you. The other one you had control over how you felt about being intimidated or bullied. Intimidation, it's nothing new. It's been around for a long time. However, it seems to be normal behavior these days. Used so the bully can get his way, whether that be government or bosses, maybe media or family, or even religious leaders. Probably the most interesting intimidation these days is the COVID vaccine. People who've had the vaccine are intimidating or shaming those who haven't into getting it to protect everyone else. Those who haven't had the vaccine are shaming those who've had it by saying, you're being controlled by their government. You're giving yourself into a mentality of something that you know nothing about. So either way, we're seeing intimidation in that. Perhaps you use that tactic yourself. If you did, how can you change that behavior? If you've been subject to intimidation, how would God have you respond? I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we'll be considering how the world's trying to put us under their control through intimidation rather than God's control. And then we're going to look at the Bible and see how we should respond. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Congressional leadership has already worked at intimidating a newly elected freshman congresswoman from Georgia because they didn't agree with things she said during her campaign. Even though her constituents had witnessed her campaign and voted for her, the congressional leadership decided to strip her of all her committee assignments. They also require her to wear a mask, something she does under protest. But they can't silence her. She just wears masks with clever messages printed on them that express her dissenting opinions. So far, the intimidation of the higher-ups hasn't stopped her. Intimidation in any form is a way to manipulate someone's behavior. As such, we need to be careful about being the victim or the perpetrator, as we will see in some biblical examples today. That example, Jackie, reminds me of a story I heard from Mike Huckabee once, person who was governor of Arkansas and who ran for president. He told the story of how he was first elected as the lieutenant governor in Arkansas, but he was a Republican and everybody else were Democrats. They didn't like that he was elected, so they closed his office and took away his budget. He comes in as the new lieutenant governor. He has no place to go. So he takes a desk and he sets it up in the lunchroom where everybody else goes every day for lunch. And he puts a sign on it that says, Lieutenant Governor Mike Huckabee. (laughs) Well, it got national news. They were trying to intimidate him to fall into their line. And what he did was he showed that he wasn't going to listen. He was going to stand up because he had been voted into that position by the people and he was going to be their voice. Sometimes we can take this intimidation and turn it around into a positive message. And by the way, after he was lieutenant governor, they ended up prosecuting the governor. So he had to resign and he ended up becoming governor. So God has a sense of humor when it comes to intimidation sometimes. Keep that in mind. If we will do the right thing when we're intimidated, God will take care of us. Speaking of intimidation, what does it mean? It means to make timid or fearful. 
According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it means to compel or deter by real or implied threats. We think of the idea of intimidating a witness. It's like threatening somebody to get them to do what we want them to do. It's really simply a means of control. And usually it comes from people with power, either through their position or their words or their actions. They use the intimidations to try and force us or even shame us into doing what they want us to do, or as I said, gain control over us. When you consider the word intimidation, it has the word timid in it. And that timid gives us the desired result that these people want to have. When you say the word timid, some of us aren't very brave. We're very compliant, and we go along with the perception of authority. In this video that I watched, it was really interesting. There was a man wearing his COVID mask and standing outside of a public building at the top of the stairs with a lint roller in his hand. As other people reach the top of the stairs, he motions to them to extend their arms. And so when they put their arms out, he quickly runs the lint roller over them and then uses the roller in an official kind of manner to motion them into the building. One by one, every single one of them submits to this lint roller scam and no one refuses, no one even bothers to question. So you can see what happens when people just line up and accept authority. They don't want to, they want to go along to get along. They don't want to make any waves. They just submit. That is so funny. But it's so true, too. When we are in a position, that, a subtle thing like that, that looks like intimidation, and we just go along with it, we don't even question it. That's really subtle intimidation, even though that's not what he was trying to do. He was making a different point. And then we have outright bullying, an example to that, to me, is President Trump and some of the names that he called his opponents. He just outright bullied them with the, those names. Then we have cultural intimidation. And those are disagreements over standards that we have, whether it be abortion or gay marriage or, you know, Christian views or whatever it is. It's just disagreements over the cultural things that we have in our society. Of course, you have political intimidation. You mentioned one at the beginning of this show. I think of Hillary Clinton's statement when she called Trump supporters deplorables. That's intimidation. And then finally, there's personal intimidation. We're not really going to talk about this, but that's when we have situations such as when we meet important people. We're just totally intimidated by that. Or maybe when we give a report in school to a professor who knows so much more than we do and we're afraid we're going to make mistakes. Or how would you like to be paired in a golf tournament with Tiger Woods? That would be highly intimidating. But we're not talking about that kind of personal intimidation. That's just part of life. We're talking about when other people try to control you. So intimidation can produce in us in those times real unhealthy fear. And that fear then tends to control us, often causing us to do the wrong thing or make the wrong decisions because of the fear and what might happen. God wants us to trust him in everything. Whenever any fear comes in or any anxiety comes in, he wants us to follow him, not be manipulated by others, not intimidated by others, not controlled by others, but instead seeking his way. You know, when you talked about people being called names like deplorables and irredeemables, I think that what that does is it degrades people in front of other people. And that's one of the more powerful things 
that one can do to control someone else. According to Saul Alinsky in his book, Rules for Radicals and also Reveille for Radicals, he just shows you exactly how they would intimidate people by mocking them, by making fun of them, and that that's such a huge fear in people that they don't, they'll almost do anything to keep that from happening. But we need to look at who we really need to fear. Do we need to fear man or do we need to have the fear of God? And what does the fear of God actually mean? In the Bible, it talks about the fear of God being the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. And so it's a different kind of fear. You mentioned Saul Alinsky in his book, Rules for Radicals. I think it's interesting that President Trump is the first Republican I've ever seen that's actually started taking some of those rules for radicals and turning them around to a conservative type of response. And that being bullying or mocking the other side for the things that they're doing, not just agreeing with them, but doing that. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm just saying that the Republicans have never stood up against some of this intimidation, but he did it like him or not. He did it. You look at some other examples besides what we've talked about. Just recently, actress Alison Milano called conservatives who attended the CPAC conference Nazis. She was trying to intimidate them. And then you look at intimidation, how the ultra-left political leaders are intimidating all those people who voted for Donald Trump, calling them right-wing extremists, even terrorists, so that people would be intimidated, not only not to support Donald Trump, but to keep their mouths shut. That's a kind of intimidation that's really painful. Even at the CPAC conference, it was held at the Hyatt Hotel in Orlando, and left-wing Democrats called out the Hyatt Hotel chain for hosting it, trying to intimidate them never to host another one again. What's going to happen to this country if we keep blackballing and cancel culturing and calling out organizations because they happen to use a business practice of opening up their auditorium to a particular bent? You look at pastors and Bible teachers who are being mocked for worshiping the Bible. That just amazes me. It's called bibliocracy. When people say we're worshiping the Bible because we stand on the inerrant, God-breathed infallibility of Scripture, instead of saying that, well, the Bible's just a book. So they say we worship, but no, we don't. We worship the God who wrote the Bible. But they're trying to intimidate us not to use the Bible in what we believe and how we live. So when you talk about intimidation by name-calling or intimidation by trying to ruin people's businesses or ruin their reputations, it reminds me of a book called Bullies. It came out a few years ago and talked about how the left really uses that as one of their main tactics and went through all the different kinds of agendas that they had that they advanced because of these tactics of bullying. And so I think that is why when Trump came along, that people who had been so timid were so glad that somebody spoke for them and fought fire with fire, used their same tactics against them. Well, let's look at some biblical examples and responses to intimidation. Certainly different than what we've been talking about politically, because we want to look at it from a biblical standpoint. That's where we as Christians are being intimidated. That's where we should be concerned. In John 12, 42 to 43, actually the whole passage talks about Jesus in Jerusalem right before he has his last supper. And he's talking to a whole group of people, the Greeks specifically, but also Pharisees are there. It says that, nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him so that they would not be excommunicated from the synagogue, for they loved the approval of people rather than the approval of God. You see, that's intimidation to the nth degree. 
These people heard Jesus. They listened. They believed in him. They wanted to confess him, but they were afraid of the leaders. They were afraid of being excommunicated, being thrown out of the synagogue. So they loved the approval of men rather than God. Are we compromising? Are we backing down because of the peer pressure, perhaps through politics, perhaps through our Christian beliefs? Are we afraid of being cast out? Maybe of work, of being fired there. Maybe friends. People are saying that half of their family won't talk to them because they supported certain candidates. Are they being afraid of thrown out of their churches? I know numerous people who've left their churches because the churches decided to go against the truth of the word of God and they were intimidated. So instead of staying and trying to change it, they were forced to leave. You look at people who love the approval of men. Men are more important and how they are viewed through men's eyes than they are through God's eyes. Those people gave up their eternal security because they were intimidated by men. That is so sad. We need to follow and overcome an attitude like that by remembering what we learn in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And that love comes from God. If we are intimidated or made to be intimidated and afraid that things are going to happen to us, the only place we can go with that is to the perfect source of love, and that's God. He will take it away. He will give us the strength to walk through it. He will give us the strength when people intimidate or leave us or we lose our jobs. He is our strength. We have to turn to him. Otherwise, perhaps in the, as in this case, our eternal security is going to be in question. And I will take intimidation by men for the short period of time on earth, then eternity away from God. It's like you said, the short period of time on earth right now, it seems so important. It's the world that we live in. And so the status and the comforts and stuff have become very important to us. That's because our eyes are on the world. If we have our eyes on Jesus and we have our eyes on that kingdom as being our true home, and that's what we literally are looking forward to and we're part of that, then we can rest in him. Another example we have talked about recently, and that's Peter and John, who healed a lame man outside of the temple. So they were called by the council, the religious leaders, before them, because the council was going to chastise them. So in Acts 4, 16 to 18, we're told, what are we to do with these men, the council said, for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it is not spread any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak any longer to any person in this name. So here they are. They don't want Peter and John to speak of Jesus because the people might follow them. So they're going to intimidate them and say, you can't talk about Jesus to other people. Goes on to say in Acts 4.18, And when they had summoned Peter and John, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, make your own judgment, for we cannot stop speaking that which we have seen and heard. It says, when they threatened them further, they let them go on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. So if you look at this, the council was trying to intimidate Peter and John not to speak, but the council was intimidated by the people. So they didn't want to further chastise Peter and John for fear of what the people do. So you have a double intimidation here. But how did the Christian follow it? Peter and John said, we cannot stop speaking that which we have heard. They weren't afraid of the council. They weren't afraid of the people. They weren't afraid to speak the truth. And they spoke the truth. They didn't get intimidated to stop doing what was right. 
And what's really cool about this, too, is that on account of the people, the people who had witnessed this undeniable truth of God, this undeniable miracle, they're glorifying God. So the people are against the government at that point in time, and they are for God. And so their hands are tied. These officials who are so powerful in their own minds and in reality most of the time couldn't be powerful, couldn't do a darn thing to Paul and John because of the people. And I think about today, what if Christians all stood up and stood firm in the face of a lot of the things that are going on now? As it is, about half of the country doesn't approve of a lot of the things that are going on. What if we all stood firm? Mm, Amen to that. It would change our country. However, what we see, no matter what side is in power, is the other side tries to intimidate them or they feel intimidated by the other side. We can't let people intimidate us. Peter and John didn't, whether it's political or whether it's biblical, because it may be political, but it's going to trickle down into the biblical things, as we talked about last week with the Equality Act. One of another example I think of intimidation is Peter's denial of Christ. This is impetuous Peter who loved Jesus, who was the first one to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet what happened is when Jesus was taken to Caiaphas's house, Peter was standing outside in the courtyard and three times he was asked or told, you are a follower of his. And three times Peter denied it because he was intimidated. He didn't want to be thrown into jail either. He didn't know what was going to happen to Jesus. He was intimidated when they asked him these questions. So he denied Jesus three times. Even a strong follower of Jesus did that. At our weak times, we can be intimidated. And Peter was. He feared man. He feared the repercussions of what would happen to him if he admitted that he was a follower of Christ. Now, that's painful because we like to think that's not going to happen to us. But if we get our eyes off of Jesus, if we put our eyes on the problems or the situations, we can do the same thing as Peter did. Now, fortunately, Peter came back. In John 21, 15 to 17, Peter was restored by Jesus at the Sea of Galilee after Jesus was resurrected. Peter went on to be one of the strongest supporters of Jesus. So if we make a mistake, if we're intimidated, if we back down, ask for forgiveness, get back up on our spiritual feet, let the Holy Spirit refill us mightily with his power and go forward like Peter did, never turning back again, never turning away from Jesus again, but following him with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Certainly Peter was strengthened by Jesus's forgiveness, and Jesus knows our weaknesses, and he knew Peter, and he knew his weakness, and he knew his heart. So in Peter's situation, he had a lot of reasons to fear. There were terrible things happening. Jesus forgave and gave him a chance to be a leader, and like you said, he never turned back. There are people in Scripture that did their best to intimidate the Lord Jesus himself. How did Jesus handle that? Oh, that's that's a great question. In Luke 7, 36 to 50, we see a story of Jesus reclining at dinner in a Pharisee's home when a woman with an alabaster jar of perfume came to anoint his feet. Simon, whose house it was, thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she was a sinner. So he was, in his mind, trying to intimidate Jesus with how this woman was a sinner, and Jesus never should have allowed her to touch him, let alone to be in the house with him. But Jesus, of course, knew what he was thinking, and so he asked him a parable about forgiveness, and basically Jesus ended up standing up for this woman. 
and rebuking Simon. Now, I will tell you, there's a second time in Scripture where that happens, where Mary, the sister of Lazarus, anoints Jesus' feet right before his death. That's a different time than this one is. The point being is Jesus knew this woman was a sinner. Jesus allowed her to come, and Jesus stood up for her. He stood up for what was right in the face of intimidation when somebody else was trying to put him down. Now, of course, this is Jesus But we have Jesus through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Therefore, we have the same power that Jesus did to overcome intimidation, to overcome fear, to overcome the situations that we see in life. And we can respond like him. That's why it's so important to read stories in the Old and New Testament about these heroes of Scripture to see how they respond in times of struggle, in persecution, intimidation, because God doesn't want us to do that. Satan is the father of all lies. That's one of his major tactics is using lies and deception. But it also seems like he must be the father of intimidation as well. This looks like it's one of his other major tools in his tool belt. And I was just thinking about the power of fear and the different things that you talked about where there's fear of ridicule, there's fear of shame, there's fear of persecution. Those are all very, very powerful things. So maybe we can go into a little bit more about how people overcame those things in Scripture. Another example that I just love is King Hezekiah. He was a good king in Scripture, but he had problems like some of us do. In this case, he was highly intimidated. The story comes in 2 Kings chapter 18. It begins in verse 17, when the king of Assyria sent some of his leaders to King Hezekiah. In verse 18, it says, When they called to the king, instead, three of the king's advisors came out, but so did all the people. So here you have Rapshaketh, the king of Assyria's right arm, and he says to these people who are listening, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? So right away, he starts by questioning the confidence that King Hezekiah has not to go to the king of Assyria. He then says, now on whom do you rely? Whom have you put your confidence in? He says again in verse 21, behold, you rely on the staff of the crushed weed, even on Egypt. So at that point, he saw and was intimidating them against putting their trust in Egypt. Then we see in verse 22 that Rabbi Shekes said, if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not him in whose name King Hezekiah took down the high places? Verse 23, now, therefore, come make a bargain with me, with the king of Assyria, and I'm going to give you 2,000 horses. Verse 25, he says, have I come to you not with the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord has said to me, go up against the land and destroy it. So here we have Rabshakeh showing all kinds of intimidation, not just at Hezekiah, but at all the leaders and the people who were listening. And there was so much fear that the leader said, oh, oh, do this privately so that the people don't hear. So that made Rabshakeh speak all the more and try and intimidate Hezekiah. What does Hezekiah do? Well, he's a little bit demoralized, to say the least, but he does what each one of us should do. According to 2 Kings 19, verse 15, Hezekiah prayed. He's laid down before the Lord all these accusations, these intimidations, the fear, what was in his heart, the concern that he had, all the things that had been said about him. He laid him down from the Lord. Then he laid out the real problem that the king of Assyria wanted to come up and attack them. 
But he wanted to trust in God instead of relying on Egypt or anyone else. And then he said to God, here's what I'd like you to do. In verse 19, he says, Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from his this hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth might know that you, O Lord, are the Lord of Israel. He knew that only God could deliver him. It's a great story. Continue reading. God said, because you prayed to me, I'm going to answer you. God ended up killing 185,000 Assyrians because Hezekiah decided to do the right thing. He knew as a good king to go to God instead of trying to handle it by himself, instead of succumbing to the intimidation, instead of submitting to the king of Assyria. And God rescued them. He'll do the same thing for us when we turn to him in prayer and humility, submission and honor to the Lord God, relying on him to meet our needs, not being controlled by other people. Well, how can we respond in times of intimidation? Read about those who've gone through intimidation or situations like that and see how they responded. And let's try to do what they did or not do what they did. In case of the Pharisees, don't love the approval of people rather than the approval of God. In the case of John and Peter, speak the truth. In the case of Peter, when he denied Jesus, let's not make that mistake. But if we do, let's confess it before Jesus. In the case of Daniel, when he was told by law not to pray to any other God except for the king, he went right up to his room, opened the windows and prayed to God because he wouldn't be intimidated. Because of that, he was thrown into the lion's den. He didn't care. He did the right thing. So we can follow the examples of those godly people. We can also, and this is so important, make a conscious decision to seek God, to walk with him, to obey him in everything. But just because I make that decision doesn't mean it's going to happen. I need to prepare my heart all the time to be with God. I need to be in his word. I need to pray because if I'm not, boy, the power of the world and sin and Satan are going to creep in and discourage me and take me down a different road. So my walk with God has to be a constant walk with him. One where I'm always following him, always seeking him because intimidation is fear, but we know that faith is the opposite of fear. So we need to have that faith in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.10 says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ, to please him in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. Only then can we stand against the problems in this world. So then once we've made a conscious decision to follow God, we need to make sure that we don't let other people control us. We need to serve God instead. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, we're reminded that the love of Christ controls us. Remember, when we are baptized, we are buried in the likeness of our sin and raised to newness of life in Jesus Christ. That means Jesus controls us, or he should. That means he's Lord of our lives. He's our master. Don't follow anybody else. In 1 Peter three thirteen to 16, as a matter of fact, it tells us there. It says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? But even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, but with gentleness and respect and keep a good conscience. So that in the things in which you are slandered, those who disparage you, that's just another term for intimidation, disparage your behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Then we need to make sure that we don't let Satan's tools of insecurity and fear defeat us. 
Remember from 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Don't let ridicule or persecution intimidate you to silence, just like Peter and John did not. And then use the power of God to overcome fear. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Power to overcome fear, love to conquer fear, and sound mind to control fear. Intimidation is fear. Let us use God's power to overcome that fear. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.